space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Hi, and welcome to The Uprising, a podcast that's all about nerds and the things they love. My name is Will Fangi. I am your host, and I am joined by uh, – this time he's a host. He was our guest on the last episode, but this time he is back to being one of my co-hosts. It's my brother, Rob. Rob, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm surviving. It's a uh, little rainy, little gray here, hoping that we get some puddled water and some freezing temperatures, and maybe I can have a, a free day off tomorrow. I don't believe you're going to be as lucky. No, no, unfortunately not. You're going to be a busy, busy man here for the next couple of days. What with the uh, the saving lives and the multiple jobs and the Super Bowl. You, hoo yeah, Sports Bowl, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking forward to that, I guess. Uh, we, we're going to go and uh, we got a little plans across town to join some friends. We kind of do it every year, regardless of whoever's playing. It's, you know, I guess when you really don't have a team that you're following, it's kind of more about who made the good food and who had the best commercials. That's you know what I think that's what it should be about every year. It's more about um, I don't do you um, oh I'm gonna forget who wrote that great comic about listening to things that other people are interested in this week. Um, XKCD. Our guest can, yes, thank you, guest XKCD. <laughs> that's what I was gonna come up with. Um, that's a spectacular segue into your own thing. Uh, our guest today, who's here to talk about the thing that he absolutely loves, is is Mr. Andy Welfley. Andy, how are you? Hey guys, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Um, so Andy is uh, a co-host with us here on the network, but he is not here to talk about podcasting today. He's here to talk about something else. But before we get into that, Andy, why don't you tell everyone who's listening a little bit about yourself and what your uh, claim to relative fame is? Um, well, I don't know about a claim to fame, but um, I am a big um, fan of wooden pencils. And that's not actually what we're talking about today because I talk about that enough already as it is. Uh, I have a podcast called Erasable with a, a couple of other guys who are, like me, uh, pencil bloggers. Um, so we we um, uh, we write and talk about wooden pencils and paper and stuff like that that goes along with it. And the podcast that Will and I have together on this network um, is called Dot Grid. And so it takes a little bit wider of an approach and we, we look at... Um, sort of the intersection of analog technology and digital technology and often how it applies to uh, how we create, how we are productive, things like that. So we might look, we might talk about a productivity app or we might be talking about uh, a nice notebook. That, and that I enjoy doing that with you. I appreciate uh, the fact that you sit and tolerate me for over an hour a week while I ask uh, silly questions about things that you seem to understand or have a, a broader depth of knowledge about than I do. So I, uh, I appreciate that. We are not here to talk about analog today. We are only here to talk tangentially about the digital. Um, Andy, what's uh, what's your nerd thing? What are you super into? So this is, this is funny because uh, when we originally started talking about um, – you know, you you and I kind of talked to each other before you started podcasting, and you had an idea for a show kind of before it evolved into a network. Um, and this this is the show, and this is one of the topics um, I, that I immediately thought of when you told me that you wanted to talk about nerd things. So this, to me, is, what so, is sort of the archetypical nerd thing, and I feel a little bit uh, stereotypical having it be my nerd thing, but that thing is Star Trek. And yes. <laughs> specifically... Specifically, the next generation, but I definitely think we should talk about kind of Star Trek as a as a whole today. A little yeah, bit. we'll we'll do some Enterprise, we'll do some Deep Deep Space Nine, we'll do some of the uh, what they're now calling the original, or I don't know, is that what we're calling it? Is it is it original? Is that what they're calling it now? You're talking about like Kirk and Spock. Yeah, Kirk and Spock. Yeah, and, the original series, TOS, okay. as as we call it on in the community. In the in the, the for the people in the know, we've got TOS and TNG and DS Nine and LMNOP and yes. all of this. Um, the only the only thing that we don't acknowledge, well, some of us do, some of us don't, would be the new movies. Really, that, that was one of my questions. Like, <laughs> let's let's let's, how let's start are, there. Sure. 
Um, well, a lot of... Okay, so that, that's probably a good place to start because I bet that if you have never seen an episode of um, The Next Generation or the original series or of the original franchise of, of Star Trek, you probably have seen the movie. It's a good like action-adventure. And what's what's interesting about the movie, which kind of... So I don't... Oh man, I don't exactly know... Okay, so have you guys seen the movie? I have not seen the regular one or into. I have not seen Star Trek or Star Trek Into Darkness. Really? No, I. Oh man, I, I have, and Rob and I have discussed this briefly. I have my Netflix queue is about as long as my Instapaper queue, and there are just so many things there that I want to jump into. Yeah, I just I I don't know. Rob, have you seen them? I, I have not. Although I have to say, when we went to see the first of the uh peter jackson hobbit movies mm, one of the large selling yeah one of the large selling points was that there was this giant trailer of the star trek movie in front of it yeah and when we were sitting in the theater they actually we went to see it in imax and they actually showed the trailer that was not imax mm. someone who went in that movie specifically to see that trailer got up and complained <laughs> that they showed the wrong trailer and they came back out after like the Hobbit had already started for like the first 10 minutes and said, sorry guys, we've now been airing the wrong movie. You paid for IMAX, but neither the trailer you saw or the movie is just an IMAX. <laughs> so they basically had to like take a poll vote in the theater as to if everyone wanted to go back and watch the uh, trailer again and the guy was really angry that he was voted down, that no one, that <laughs> the majority of people did not want to go back and see the Star Trek trailer was it in IMAX. Was it comic book guy from The Simpsons? This is exactly I, what he looks like in my head. <laughs> it, it may have been. I Worst don't know. Worst movie but ever. <laughs> but there were, like, there were like three guys in the back who were really, really ticked off. They did, <laughs> did not get like the special bonus of seeing it. And, I, and the sad thing is... It's the exact same trailer. Yeah, just like there wasn't a differentiation between the trailer that you saw in the, you know, yeah, the 3D and the not 3. Like it, it wasn't, you know, yeah, you got the same amount of preview movie information, but they were really angry. I don't know. From seeing the trailer, it looked like a good movie. It is. I, I just I've never seen it. Well, it's it's very. I mean, it's very, very action adventure and it, it, it is a very awesome movie. Um, I think that I think that if I was somebody who was new to the series and uh, sort of like didn't have all these like 20 odd years of personal sort of like just emotion built up behind Star Trek and knowledge and interest in in, in the canon, I guess we'll, we'll call it, um, I would have liked it a lot better. Um, and it was, I mean, it was very well acted. It was very well um special effectized i don't know how how you would say that but yeah we'll call it cgi'd but essentially what they did is they reset the star trek universe um and basically took it on a divergent path through an alternate timeline um there was kind of an event that happened having to do with time travel and timelines and things like that up front so jj abrams wait no jj abrams yep did the first yeah, one and the yeah, second yeah, one yeah yeah he he uh sort of just decided He's going to take the license to do whatever the hell he wants with it and started us on that path. So uh, it's can I, should we should we sound the spoiler horn? I don't know if that is relevant to a at this point five year old movie. Well, do I? Yeah. Four year old movie. Uh, if you I'm haven't sure seen them like neither of us, like neither of the Fangy boys have. Then uh, okay. um, go ahead and fast forward for 30 seconds. Yes. Uh I'm going to not take my headphones off in the matter of artistic integrity, but I will say <laughs> this, that I, if you ruin this for me, I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'll be okay with it. Okay. So, uh, as we know, Spock is a Vulcan, um, and the planet Vulcan in the new movie is destroyed. And in the original series and in the next generation of Voyager and all of the TV shows, uh, it is not destroyed. It is still a thing. So, uh, it was sort of a big, broad... It wasn't sort of like, oh, well, here's a detail that we decided to change from the original series. It's let's destroy an entire planet full of people who are key to the 
plot of this universe, if that makes sense. So I, I, I think J.J. Abrams sort of did this up front. It's almost like ripping off a Band-Aid for all of the original Star Trek fans. So, uh, yeah, that, that happened. I mean, it, it was a good movie. I, I enjoyed the second was one. Was it used as a good plot device later? Um, it was, it existed. I mean, it's because that doesn't seem like a great thing to do. Like, yeah, even like the tangential, you know, I'm certainly not a fan, but I I know who Spock is and I know he's a Vulcan. Like, yeah. Why are you just killing off his planet to start with? Like, that that doesn't make any sense to me. A lot of it is to give him drive and emotion throughout the first movie because his everybody. Well, he he saved his father, but his mother died on the planet. Um when it was destroyed. So it, it was kind of used as let's light a fire under Spock's ass to stop the bad guy. If that uh, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, so the movies, I don't, I, I enjoy the movies, but I definitely try to look at them through a different lens and kind of separate them in my head from, um, the TV episodes and, and the, the original, the original movies. So let's talk a little bit about the TV series. Um, the one that has actors that most people are familiar with from sort of a legacy standpoint is the original series. If you right. were to say, you know, it's where a lot of the catchphrases and, and other things like that have come from. It's where people recognize William Shatner from. It's where Beam Me Up Scotty came from. It was sort of a launching point for for Leonard Nimoy. How does the next generation kind of compare to the original series? What's sure. the What's well, the sort of layout there? Well, first of all, uh, this is this is my Star Trek um, like like nitpick moment or whatever. Um, apparently, the the phrase "beam me up, Scotty" was never actually used in the original series. Truth. There was a lot of "beam me ups." There was a lot of "Hey, Scotty." There was a lot of "Scotty, beam me ups" kind of a thing, but never "beam me up, Scotty," which is interesting. Uh, He's dead, Jim. Is definitely used a lot. <laughs> Uh, there's a really good supercut of all the times that Dr. McCoy has said, Beam, uh, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a whatever. Or it's he's dead, Jim, um, which is pretty great. Um, but I guess, so I am 31 years old, and I started watching Star Trek The Next Generation was kind of my first entrance into the Star Trek universe. And um, I honestly don't have some sort of a first time I watched it immediately fell in love with it kind of a thing it's a sort of I watched it with my dad and for a long time I didn't really understand what was going on because I was very young Um, and it just sort of was always there and as I got older and started paying more attention to it um, it kind of stuck with me more so it was kind of a gradual entrance into fandom I guess instead of like some sort of a first moment of watching it. Like I, Doctor Who, if ever we talk about Doctor Who, I can definitely tell you the first episode and the first time I watched it that was like, what is this? This is amazing. Um, but Star Trek was definitely like a kind of gradually fade into it. And I, I think some of it is just because The Next Generation was my first, the first one I ever watched or, and was aware of. Um, so that's kind of how I started, just watching with my dad. Um when did you realize it was a kind of a transition from a show you would watch every once in a while to I know more about the next generation than your average 16-year-old? Um, it was probably even like earlier than that. I bet it was like 12, 13-year-old. Um, I I honestly and, – and when we started talking about doing this episode, I started trying to think of that. And I don't remember like a, like a seminal moment. I – I just remember it's always sort of been there, and I just sort of gradually started thinking about it more, started thinking about it more. Uh, The interesting thing about Star Trek is that it it seems like in the days before the internet was really a big thing, it had a community that I could find, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Like with Doctor Who, I started watching that. It was on old Doctor Who's from the 70s were on reruns on PBS uh, on Saturday Saturday nights, and I discovered it i stayed up late my parents and my sisters didn't um to watch it because you know other kids went out and did stuff on saturday night i watched doctor who <laughs> um so i i saw with doctor who i sort of thought i was the only person on earth who knew what this was or who had heard of doctor who like it was this british sci-fi show from the 60s and 70s and 80s etc and no one else i knew knew about this show and the internet really wasn't a thing for me to go looking for a community there. 
But for some reason, I just knew a bunch more people who knew what Star Trek was. And in fact, there was a convention in Fort Wayne, Indiana, my hometown, um, that I went to that was pretty amazing. But <laughs> was that, that, was, that was, was another one of my questions. Have you been to the conventions and what are those I, like? I have been to a uh, kind of outlier convention in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Nichelle Nichols, who was Uhura on the original series, she was the guest there. Um, it was pretty. It was it was pretty good, but it was definitely not like going to some big one like in L.A. or Austin or something like that. It was it was fun, but it was definitely not uh, the convention experience I think a lot of people have. Because first of all, I was what like fourteen, fifteen years old. I went with a friend of my and my dad. I didn't dress up and go with you know go in full costume or anything like that. You're West Coast now. Is that on the to-do list? Are you oh, gonna... gosh, I don't know. I uh, I actually haven't even thought about that. I don't know if any of that comes to San Francisco. I think that... Well, what's in... Oh, Comic-Con is in San Diego, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it the is. The big one's yeah. in San Diego. Yeah. Um, I'm really... I'm not a huge comic reader, but I know that there's a lot of other things that are represented there. So San Diego's still like a good eight hours away, so... Yeah, I'll th- people I'll forget how tall California is. It really is. Like, yeah, I. But you're still significantly closer than you were in Fort Wayne. It's true. <laughs> that is true. That's uh, got to be somewhat tempting. Yeah, that's true. I um, I don't know if I find a good big Star Trek convention. Here's the other trouble is is that there's a lot of other fans I don't appreciate just because they just get very vindictive with the canon. And as much as I complained uh, about the new movies here on this podcast. Um, there's people who are way worse than that. So it's I didn't of, even consider that complaining. I thought that was more explaining. Right. Than yeah. Complaining. Exactly. So there's uh, the Star Trek community. Yeah, does definitely get very vociferous about continuity and just pain, like you know, playing in part of the universe. Which, which honestly is a big thing I like about it. I I really like that Star Trek has a whole just universe worked out. I mean, there's. There's dozens and dozens of, of books, usually terribly written books, um, written about, star, like, you sit in the Star Trek universe. Um, there's countless fan fictions, um, some of which are uh, rated G and some of which aren't. Um, yes, yeah. as most fan fiction is. Right. There's, I mean, there's hundreds of episodes of TV shows that take place in the same universe, and they take great pains to uh, make it consistent with each other. Uh, they even explained, which I didn't necessarily think needed explaining. Um, you know, uh, everybody's familiar with what a Klingon looks like. Kind of the big, okay. big yeah. crazy foreheads. In the original series, they did not have the makeup budget to uh, to make those big foreheads. So they just sort of look like, well, the 60s were a little bit more racist. They look like brown people, essentially. The evil brown people. Um in the sixties, no. <laughs> and so, uh, so in the in the Klingons from the original series were definitely less makeuped, and uh, they were not wearing a prosthetic forehead. Um, and they actually explained that later. Um, well, they didn't exactly explain it, but they added a little like plot loophole so they could get around explaining it. Um, so basically, there was some huge disaster on the planet Klingon that basically changed the DNA and. Um, sort of like hyper evolved some Klingons to have that forehead ridge. So it's uh it's it's not necessarily realistic or good, but but they take great pains to keep everything consistent. And there is if I'm sure the Star Trek's out there Star Trek fans out there will know this, but there's a website called memoryalpha.org, which is basically I, the Star I'm Trek. I'm literally movie. on memoryalpha.org right now. It's memory dash alpha.org. Yeah, it's it's the Star Trek wiki and it is amazing. I was on there just because you were talking about there are hundreds and hundreds of episodes, and I was trying to see exactly how many there were. Does and according um, in the forum, according to Memory Alpha, there and this is there's with the animated series and without the animated oh, series. The animated have you seen series. any of the animated stuff? Uh, yeah, I have. It's amazing, but not I. I, and, I would and voiced not. by the original voice actors a lot of times, and also um, James Doohan, who did Scotty, uh, voiced a lot of the. Um, the like temper the per episode characters because uh they thought that his voice without the terrible scottish accent was going to be distinctive enough so uh if you listen carefully a lot of the guest characters on the original series on the animated series are scotty just without the scottish accent we're looking at 694 episodes not counting the animated series 
So if you add wow. in the animated series, that is that's over a, 700 episodes. That's a lot of my life that I <laughs> have been spent. Last production being Star television. Trek. So, seeing the sidebar that it's the 727th production that has been released. But that's counting 11 movies. Yeah. And 22 episodes of the animated series. Wow. So not counting the animated series and not counting the movies, 694 episodes. It's, I mean, like The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager definitely went on for like seven or eight seasons. So it's, it really is amazing how long it has lasted. Um, I think I read when I was on the Wikipedia page last night, of course, doing all of the research I possibly could to get ready for today. I think that when... um what was Voyager was the last one that was on continuously, right? Uh, no, Enterprise was. Enterprise was, right, right, because Enterprise was the prequel to everything else. When Enterprise stopped airing, it was the first time in like 15 or 16 years that there hadn't been a Star Trek show on television making new episodes. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I definitely remember. And, and Enterprise is actually one of the ones that I have not seen all of the episodes of. There's Later on, it gets really weird. Uh, but it was also during my like late college, early kind of career period where I just got super busy and didn't watch a lot of television. So I uh, I have not seen all of the Enterprise episodes. Um, and also part of that is because they also sort of distanced themselves from the Star Trek brand. Eventually they started calling themselves Star Trek Enterprise. But before they did that, um, like in the first few seasons, it was just called Enterprise. And... It was clearly part of the same universe, but they, they just wanted to feel different because I think they were trying to get a different audience. Um, so, yeah, I and so that was part of the reason I wasn't just set on fire by that series. That's that's good marketing right there. Just yeah. go ahead and alienate one of the strongest fandoms that exists. Which is, well, we're just well that's what J.J. Abrams people. did. <laughs> um, I think it's because there's a huge stigma attached to the fandom. Like, we're all, you know, nerds who sit in their parents' basement and play video games and watch star trek that sounds awesome sign me up <laughs> like, well this is that. the nerd uprising network so i have a feeling it is that, yeah um was there something in particular about the show that just kind of resonated with you that made it a thing that you like wanted to be attached to or yeah it's so so let me let me tell you a little bit about my childhood so my favorite super nintendo games were the ones where uh, you were an administrator of an airport or you, uh, you know, it wasn't just like shooting people or flying around in your airplane or something like that. So, so like SimCity before SimCity yeah, was a thing. Yeah, I, I, I was like, oh man, I love SimCity. Um, I actually waited in line at, I don't even know what that game store was called back then, um, for when SimCity 2000 came out. Uh, so I could I could get the first co- one of the first copies for Power Mac. It was... It was so much the, fun. It was the <laughs> dorkiest thing I've ever heard. That's that's the great. That's great, Andy Wellfley. That makes me so happy to hear. Sim, Sim City's Sim City was fantastic. I've never played The Sims or anything like that, but uh, that yeah, Sim City is pretty great. Um, so, so imagine a series like a like a sci-fi series that rather than like the original Star Trek or Star Wars or something like that, uh, there was a lot of dealing with diplomats, or there was a lot of um, Oh, what else? Like internal, internal science. Like, uh, oh God, the ship's going to explode if we don't re-weld this yeah, piece to and, that piece. Yeah, or that. Or, oh my God, Dad has been short-circuited. He's going crazy. He's a cyborg. Or, or like a a um an episode dealing with linguistics, something like that. That's kind of my, like, that's what I like about Star Trek. Is there's not all this like. It's not a space western like the original Star Trek was kind of intended to be, um, or at least was marketed as. There's there's a lot more shooting and and things like that rather than kind of the true exploration of that happens in the next generation. I mean, there's still some some space battles and gunplay and things like that, but it's it's I feel like it's mostly kind of true to what I think Gene Roddenberry wanted for the original series. And in order to keep it on the air, he had to have a lot more of the kind of western theme stuff if that makes sense so part of it is because i mean it's kind of encapsulated by the captain like the original series was captain kirk who was like a like a gunslinger basically like he he definitely was quick to the draw he was hot-headed he was very cunning very smart but also yeah he he definitely was a lot more of a 
uh, rogue, not a rogue, a maverick, I guess I should say. Um, Captain Picard was was an intellectual, like he was a scientist, and he he was going to be an archaeologist before he went to Starfleet. And um, Starfleet is the name of like the not the military unit, but like the the organization within that universe that has the spaceships, basically. Um, they're they're larger scale NASA, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So like the United Federation of Planets is the government um, that oversees Earth and Vulcan and all all of these this conflagration of planets. Um, Starfleet is kind of the unit by which they go out into space. So like a like a military unit or NASA or something like that. Um, and it's it's definitely it feels. It feels more optimistic and utopian than the original series. Um, I think Gene Roddenberry had a little bit more license after the success of some movies um, to go out and just sort of develop this universe. This is a this is a utopia where you know there's no money, there's no disease, there's no uh, like hunger and stuff like hunger. that. Hunger, they've eradicated all that. I mean, there's there's war, but it's not sort of like internal fighting on Earth. It's sort of like there's alien invaders. Uh, who are trying to assimilate us, the Borg, essentially. Um, so for somebody who really likes the idea of a utopian future, um, Star Trek's The Next Generation is great for that. Um, Gene Roddenberry died in 1991, which is only a few seasons in. Um, and uh, the reins of, of Star Trek kind of got turned over um, to some other people. Um, actually, one of them, did anybody here ever watch uh, Battlestar Galactica, the new ones? Rob, you seen Battlestar? I can't say that I have. Uh, dude, I got—I don't know if you and I have talked about this at all, Andy. I think I've got—I think I got about four or five episodes into the first season, and I was blown away by the cinematic quality, and yet at the same time, remarkably confused by the <laughs> amount of story arcs and storylines that were uh, constantly so intertwining. One of the big writers on that news battle—actually, I think it's the creator uh, of Battlestar Galactica—is Ronald D. Moore. And he was one of the writers on Star Trek. So you can, it definitely, it got a little bit heavier and darker um, later on in the series um, because uh, he started writing more of the dark episodes. Um, so there's definitely like some, if, if you, if you people out there are big fans of Battlestar Galactica and have just sort of briefly seen Star Trek, um, when they, uh, there's a big kind of epic uh, episode arc um, series uh, plot arc, I should say, where the Borg, who I think people are at least a little bit familiar with, kind of come to Earth and have a big space battle, space battle, and try to invade Earth, and are, you know, spoiler alert, do not. Um, but that definitely feels very, very Battlestar Galactica, Galactica e. Um, so, so it it kind of starts off as this just really optimistic. There's really no kind of conflict among the. Um, people on the ship there's a lot of like you know it, this is a like a family ship people have their families there this isn't like a like a warship like the original enterprise uh, the next generation enterprise is much bigger it has uh concerts it has plays on it uh people it has a bar with whoopi goldberg it has a bar with whoopi goldberg which by the way she was a huge fan of the original series and basically begged to not begged um really wanted to be on it in some capacity. So they made her this like bartender character, which is pretty great. Um, wear some insane hats. Uh, so, so it, it's definitely like more of a, like a family, like a colony ship rather than, you know, people can get off and not, they have warp speed. So they don't, doesn't take generations to get from one place to another. Um, but, but yeah, it's definitely more of a a thing. So there's, I feel like there are more stakes. Like it's not just you dying, but it's your family dying. Um, but also at the same time, there's a lot, yeah, a lot more arts and crafts. There's a lot more. There's an arboretum. There are holodecks, which are the, sort of this new concept that they came up with. It's kind of a plot device, but still really cool. Um, and people started sussing out sort of the mechanics and the machinery behind it. I have uh, sitting beside me a. 300 page star trek technical manual where there's schematics of the engines of the enterprise and there's it's insane that the level that people have gone to 
I want to think that you just have that out because you knew this episode was coming, but deep down, I um, think that's one of those things you kind of sit on your desk and you're like, I'm at a writer's block point. I'm going to flip through this for a few. It's one of those things you always have on hand, isn't it? It's actually sitting out because our apartment is not, st- we only moved to the Bay Area about a month ago, so there's still some stuff we haven't unpacked, and I have books sitting out that I have not put on bookshelves yet, and that is one of them. Oh, I was looking for some real nerd cred there for a minute. I was like, oh, of course Andy keeps his Star Trek technical manual on his desk. What Obviously. if he needs to figure out how – What if I needed um, to realign the Dalentheim crystals? Yeah. I yeah. mean well, how are you going to figure out how to do that? And what if you can't find out what box it's packed in? Um, There's a lot of stuff on Netflix. Why should I watch The Next Generation? Let's pretend – and actually we don't have to pretend. Let's say that I'm interested in – watching something new and there's a lot of things out there sell me on the next generation um yeah so i feel like the next generation is really in the sweet spot where it it feels a little kitschy and campy like an like it's an old i mean it's an old sci-fi series um but it's not but it's still modern enough where there's some thought-provoking science behind it um, and they do have some, there are some plots of it that very much, you know, mirror social issues that we have today. Um, there is an episode about binary gender roles. Um, there's a species that is not specifically just male or female. There's a third gender within there that it takes to procreate. And part of it is about, um, that species falls in love with a crew member, uh, and vice versa. And they have to sort of talk through that, like, like, what does that mean? Like, how, how is this a thing? So, um, so there's really complicated issues like that, but at the same time, there's plenty of places where you can go and see the Enterprise kick some ass with some photon torpedoes. Everyone, um, if you can't get behind photon torpedoes, yeah, oh, well, yeah. don't get in front of photon torpedoes. No, no, no. But you if, should if definitely you can't be behind get, them. Yeah, if that you can't definitely get behind, sounds like a bad place to be. Yeah, <laughs> if you so can't the wrong get behind side them. of a photon torpedo. So there's a, so I think the next generation has a very good balance between those. Um, and if you are like me, and and honestly, like the rest of the internet, uh, you probably love Patrick Stewart more than you like most people. That's true. Um, he's I, I I feel like he sort of made a big comeback with the X Men. Like, you know he he was done with some movies for a while. The X Men came out. And he played a badass Professor Xavier. Um, but before he was Professor Xavier, he spent eight years, uh, seven years. I should actually know how many seasons there are. There's seven seasons. Uh, he, yeah, seven because yeah. they were contracted for eight. Yeah, and yeah. They didn't know why they were cutting them after seven and seasons. Some except... good movies and then some bad movies. Um, right. But he was Captain Picard, which is kind of the Professor X of Star Trek. He's very um, egalitarian. He's very thoughtful. He's intellectual. He's very good at making decisions. He's basically the best captain ever. Ever uh, of anything. Ever of anything. I, I actually have. At some point, I actually have my top five favorite like, like media captains out there, and he's he's number one. Uh, number two would be uh, this is really geeky, Captain Bridger from um, SeaQuest. Do you guys remember SeaQuest at all? Only SeaQuest, only SeaQuest twenty twenty, which was the Cartoon Network remake. That, that's uh, that's Sea Lab. Sea Lab. You know what I mean. SeaQuest was a. Uh, it was kind of like Star Trek, but underwater. It was a. It's from the '90s, um, kind of along the same the same time as I think Deep Space Nine was out at that time. Um, it wasn't super well known. It had a talking dolphin in it, which is pretty great. Um, but anyhow, I digress. Um, the characters on Star Trek are really fantastic, and unlike the original series, there was a lot. They seem like more of a united front. They seem more cohesive, cohesive as a crew, if that makes sense. There's not as much like picking at each other like Spock and McCoy did. There's not a lot of like people going evil. Um, and Data um, is also a pretty fantastic character. He he's kind of the new. He plays the same role that I think that Spock played in the original series. So Vulcans, uh, I feel like I'm just doing a lot of explanation of Star Trek. I don't know if you want that or not. But no, that's great. Okay. That sounds wonderful because I mean that's kind of. I don't know much about it, so yeah. Uh, like I said, you're 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 if you're selling me on it and telling me what the basis behind it is, I think explanation's gonna 
kind of tell me and Rob and the rest of the people yeah, that may be listening. I, I have no basis for this at yeah. all. So like, like of- I said, I've, I've, I've watched maybe a couple of um, maybe a few of the uh, original series. I've probably watched some of um, the next generation, but that was probably when it was originally on air. Yeah. Um, I haven't, uh, like I said, I didn't see either of the new movies. So, yeah. What kind of a uh, nerd uprising network uh, owners, founders are you guys? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just We're kidding. the Star Wars kind oh, of Nerd boo. Up Resident Network owners. Yeah. I, I do enjoy Star Wars. I will watch the new movies with glee. But it's 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 interesting. I, I wish I had a better sort of like explanation about how Star Trek and Star Wars nerds kind of kind of divide. But I I'm sure there's something out there and I I honestly just don't know really. Like they're just yeah. Like if like Star Wars, Star Wars nerds are definitely wrapped up in a lot of like the politics of the Empire and the Alliance and uh, things like that. But I think that that there's a lot more who are there for like the cool factor of the lightsaber, you know, things like that. Jedi's okay, and, and Star, all right, that's and, that's legit. Yeah, and Star, right. yeah, Star I, I get that. Star Trek nerds would be more the ones who are like, it seems like a lightsaber would be extremely impractical and somebody with a phaser you know could just knock them out and star wars users would say well they have the force and star trek says we do not recognize the use of magic is kind of what the i think how it goes so star wars is more of like fantasy set in space with with sci-fi elements thrown in and star trek is more like just like straight science fiction yeah one is more science and one is more fiction yeah and obviously star wars there's midichlorians in your blood that interact with quantum physics and that's what the force is um but that definitely was sort of a let's that was an afterthought yeah let's patch this up <laughs> and that, explain that, was, this. that was that was a complete like and that was quantum physics was discovered yeah. and you're like this is sort of like the force let's apply this to it yeah, how I dare you know. bring midichlorians <laughs> into this conversation <laughs> how dare We've, you sir but, I uh, think in one of the lost episodes, we declared that we really weren't going to talk about um, episode one. Like, <laughs> just, I, as, as we, we, or we would, or whenever it was that we talked about Star Wars and canon, that we would talk about episode one the least amount as possible. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of graduated up the scale because I was listening to. Uh, I went back. Uh, I don't know if either. What is the the film podcast? Not Film Sack, but the other one that is the Flophouse. Flophouse. Yeah, I went back and listened to the Flophouse episode about episode the Star Wars episode two, and as they are going back over it again, the all of the shiny wonderment that it had held in my head was completely dashed against the stones, and oh, I was man. like, "Oh my god, they're right! It is a really bad movie." That's um, that, that's kind of how the Star Trek people feel about the new the new movies. Uh, yeah, I would kind of like to pretend that episode one and the vast majority of episode two never even existed. (laughs) And the only reason I even have episode three is so that I can see how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. So basically you can cut it down to like 30 essential minutes. And, and I feel like the, the entire, like all those people who were in the theater were only there to see that last part of episode three where he gets the helmet. Uh, yeah, and then everybody's like, "Okay, now we know we can go home. See you guys." Okay, so now that we've talked about stuff that Star Wars fans have immediately <laughs> uh, not a, not that are, that are part of their canon, but are not a giant fan of. Yeah, what what is the what is the Star Trek equivalent to that? Like, what is it? Ooh. What is it that that everyone knows, but everyone just like kind of when it kind of came on, there was just kind of this collective groan that they were like, "Really, we had to do that?" <laughs> like, what? I don't understand. Yeah, um, I think that at first that would be so. In in the, the next generation, uh, there was this uh, species called the Ferengi, um, which are these like tiny, spindly, like giant eared beings that are kind of like like savage, and they have ships and everything. But really, they didn't build it themselves. They like you know stole and traded it with other species. Um, they were just these like weird little scary guys, I guess you could say. And they, uh, in and that's kind of how they were set up in the next generation. And then in Deep Space Nine, um, they sort of turned them more into this like 
they develop the the species. Uh, in fact, one of the main characters on Deep Space Nine is a Ferengi. Um, his name is Quark, spelled like the subatomic particles. Um, and he they they turn them more from like these weird little savage aggressive creatures into like these conniving like like financially savvy um oh merchants basically um they started trading and and at first i feel like a lot of people were very jarred by these um or maybe i should say jar jarred by them oh um, <laughs> why would you do uh, that well, um i didn't actually even think of that until i said jarred and then I, but but essentially uh, the same thing like they're, they're these these characters that they were just like why don't why are you here why don't you just go away and eventually, after the first maybe season, um, either we got used to them or they developed the characters more to like these weird little lovable uh, creatures that basically, I think, represent what humans used to be like in current times. They, they, they're very money driven, very capitalist driven. Um, and, you know, in, in, in Star Trek, you know, there's no money anymore. Everybody does everything because they're, I don't know, because they're. They're motivated by something else. Because they're um, curious. Yes, yes. So, because it's out there. Um, but I, th- I feel like the Ferengi at first were kind of like that. Um, I can't think of any just like really, you know, just really bad things like that. I, I feel like the biggest transition was from the original series to the next generation. And I was not alive during the original series. So, we should, uh, we should talk to somebody who's like 50. You know who might have seen the original series when it was on at first. Um, I don't know any fifty-year-old nerds. M- yeah. Oh, they're out there. Oh yeah. Oh no, I don't. Hey, listen. If you want to come on, and we can, maybe that can be one of our follow-up episodes. We just come as we well, just sit here and let- have a multi-generational discussion of the entirety of the universe well how about listeners in the comments of this episode which by the way where can we find show notes and comments for this episode i'm so glad you asked uh they're at nerduprising.co slash uprising slash two uh because this is the second episode of uprising so nerduprising.co slash uprising slash two and yeah there will be uh, obviously the show notes will be there there's going to be a spot for comments if uh, any of us have said anything that is factually incorrect, please do what all good nerds do, and that is call us out in the comments. Uh, if you are interested in coming on and talking with us about the original series or Deep Space Nine or um, Voyager or Enterprise or the new movies, if you're one of those people, we won't make you sit next to Andy. Um, oh, then... please don't. <laughs> I'll be there by myself just writing in my my notebook all the the nitpicks no i'm just kidding in your star trek inspired ipad oh yeah oh man so somebody man i just read somewhere that that the major influence of why it's called an ipad is because of star trek like the um you know they carried around these little slates uh these little tablets that uh had a little touch screen on them and they were called pads p-a-d-d and that was an acronym for uh personal access display device um, and it's basically how they sort of like interacted with ship systems and things like that. Um, I do want to re- rewind a little bit and say that Star Trek was straight science. When I said that Star Trek was straight science fiction, there's something that I think I should clarify and say that there there are elements of what could be argued to be magic in them. In uh, Have you heard of the character called Q? Yes. So Q is a species that is so, so highly evolved that they've become non-corporeal. They don't have bodies anymore. They just sort of exist as as like a floating intellect. And they are basically, I wouldn't say omniscient, but basically. Basically almost omniscient and almost omnipotent. And they're not, and they're more like trickster gods, basically. So Q is one of the members of the species and he snaps his finger and all of a sudden everybody on the enterprise is in an old like robin hood universe and that happened pretty early on and everybody's like what the hell <laughs> i know you meet q first episode yeah because... he's he's integral to the plot of the next generation um well to the premise of it essentially um and he's in the first episode he's in the last episode he's on several episodes in between i think a lot of people sort of would rather pretend he was not around 
Um, but he's it's it's still a fun character. Um, he's he sort of like yeah introduces that idea of magic into this like otherwise pretty cut and dry science fiction show. Um, but at the same time, he's yeah it's always fun when he when he's on. He's sort of like the uh, chaotic neutral. Like he's not good, he's not bad, but he's definitely chaotic. I'm glad you went chaotic neutral with that because if we can't get a good um, role playing sort of reference in uh, an episode about or in a podcast about being a nerd, then uh, we're not doing our job. <laughs> oh man, um, there was some amazing. St- so there's a Star Trek role playing game. Um, uh, well, it's more of like a dice game um, where I and I'm horrible at dice games, especially this particular one. But you. You basically, it's all about like the details of having a starship. So it's it's less about like roll the dice to see how many enemy ships you destroy and more like roll the dice to see uh, how much damage you take so you can reroute power from the warp engines to the shields and it's all caught up in this. I'm so bad at it. I also don't like it that much, but that's out there. Do you not like it because you're bad at it? Probably. And also okay. just, just because I it involves math. Oh, you don't uh, math well. I'm not a yeah. I don't know how to math. No, I don't. I don't math well either. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely every once in a while I'll help. My, I try to help some of my students with their algebra, and they're like, "No, Mister oh, Finn, you're man. not doing that right." And I'm like, "Leave it alone. I'll get there." <laughs> Gosh. So there's a lot of Star Trek people who are do love math, but there's uh when, when it comes to Star Trek games, I know Andy, future Andy, who's on some other shows here, uh, really love. He wanted us to talk about Star Trek Online, which. I have never played. Um, so I'm sorry, Andy. I I've never played it, and I just don't know if I can. I actually, in the early days of AOL, um, I. Or are you uh, more afraid that you're not going to play it because just like he, that you're going to find that you don't like it, and then you'll feel bad about that. I yeah, that could be too. I think I was going to okay. say I don't think you can play it because I don't think, according to Andy, anyone on a Mac can play it. He said that That's the true. client is barely launchable. That's true. If oh, I okay. if I ran like Boot Camp or Parallels or something, I might be able to, but. Sounds remarkably complicated and yet yeah. somehow very fitting for a Star Trek game. <laughs> yeah. You have to reroute power from your Mac into your boot camp parallel right. and <laughs> roll a dice to see if you can launch it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did used to do AOL chat room uh, role playing uh, Star Trek, though. That was pretty great. That is the most 90s <laughs> thing that anyone has ever said. Yeah, I did AOL chat room Star Trek role playing. Did you just roll like some of those random storytelling dice and the '90s versions, and just pull out some random things to say? It was more that's—it's just more of a conversation. Uh, you sort of like knew what your role was on the ship, and you—you you often you had a separate uh, username for your character. And you know how? Did you guys have AOL? I did not. So I did. You did. So you remember how you would go? You could go and look at other people's profile. Yeah. You you would just have all your stuff there. And, oh, okay. And if for some reason you didn't have another, like you didn't have enough spaces to have your own thing, uh, you could just uh, instant message somebody your your character, basically, if they asked. Um, I see. Okay. So, so you had like your species and your character, and it, unlike D anD D, where you had like classes and stuff like that, mostly it was species and just some history, and then whatever your your title on the ship was. Okay. Yeah. That's. An interesting way to go about it. And I, again, it goes back to that whole community aspect. That's definitely something that, thanks to the internet, is now much more prevalent. But Star Trek is one of those uh, one of those institutions that has always had a very supportive, very involved community that maybe you know, maybe you didn't wear your insignia around all the time on your backpack or your shirt, but, you know, once you got into that, there was, uh, you know, a, cl- a close-knit community. There's always going to be some outliers, some people who are either totally obsessed with the canon being recited in, in perfection or people who are vehemently opposed to this idea or passionately involved with this other idea. But, you know, that's it, it, that's always kind of been a really cool thing that Star Trek has had before the internet made it re- readily available, like you were talking about earlier. It's just there's a community, and yeah. people have embraced each other. Has that Was that one of the things that you've kind of always appreciated about it? I think so. I don't know if I'd say that I had always appreciated that. I, I was – as a kid, I was mostly – I was a loner, but not like in a – necessarily like a, you know, school, not in a school shooter way. kind of way. I was – I definitely – I read a lot of the Star Trek books. Um, in fact, I gave a six sixth grade book report on one of my 
favorite Star Trek books. books. Um, so most of the Star Trek novels, probably like the Star Wars novels, if ever you've read them, are pretty badly written. Um, just kind of like mass-produced paperbacks, essentially. And um, Yeah. Yeah. When and, I was cleaning out my old bedroom, I found the one that was supposed to be the one um, that starts after Return of the Jedi. Oh, the one with, and, with uh, Luke runs the Jedi Academy? Uh, I don't think it was that one. Okay. This That's one seemed to be this one seemed to be run more of um it was more based on the empire. Oh. It was more based on what is the empire doing now that there is no emperor kind of situation. Yeah. Um and I I must have been what 10 when I had this book the first time and I mean that's you know. Yeah pushing you know 25 years ago you know yeah 28 years ago so i mean it's it was but it's been a long time since i read it so i started to kind of flip through the first couple of pages and i went wow <laughs> i've read a lot of books since then and this is terrible yeah that, that was and my part, problem. And part of me wants to read it to see like i wonder if the people that made the movie read this stuff and is going to try to make it something like this but the adult in me said i cannot force myself to read this as this is it's that bad that's what happened to me. I, I, I read a lot of these paperbacks and then I went to college and took lit classes and uh, I was like, oh man, <laughs> I can hardly do this anymore. Um, there There is one Star Trek book, I think, to me that stands out above the other ones in that it's written like a, almost like a piece of literature. Like it's very well written. It's very well plotted. Um, it's called Federation and it basically is, it takes place in three different periods within the Star Trek universe timeline. There's one that takes place um, not too much in the distant future now. It takes place during um, the time when the first kind of like space um, warp flight was developed. Um, there's a character, Zephram Cochran is the name of the guy who basically invents warp drive. Um, they cover that in Star Trek First Contact. But um, and in an episode of the original series too. But there's it's him, and then one takes place in the original series, and then one takes place in the next generation, and all of the kind of you know plot lines uh, in, like converge at some point. But it's just very well written and very well very well plotted. I think um, that one still holds up pretty well. Um, but yeah, a lot of them don't. Um, and the other the other thing I guess that's fun, but just just makes me cringe a little bit um, is the idea of an alternate universe in Star Trek. Uh, they started with the original series um, and there was oh a Deep Space Nine and I think a Voyager that took place but there's basically like an evil universe out there where all of the characters are warmongering and more id driven than you know than the super conscious um yeah, it's um, it's pretty good in that you just like you're like yeah, look at Kirk just shove a knife in someone's side, um, but also just like oh god, <laughs> this is bad. I guess we should go ahead and ask the absolutely critical questions, and that would be: Do you have a favorite character, and who is it? I think I know who you're going to say, Captain McCard. Uh, really. Who did you think that, I was going to say? That's who I thought you were going to say. No, I was just I was just kind of giving you that one. It, why? Why um, is he your favorite? Because he's ruled strictly by science and not by emotion. Um, I wouldn't say that. Like, so okay. So I have like, I guess I guess Picard and and Data would probably be my two favorite characters, but. I, I honestly, so I'm, I'm looking at this, you know, in the show notes, the kind of the show notes leading up to this, you have favorite episode, favorite character, favorite story arc. And it's it's really, really hard for me to come up with that because I really look at at least the next generation kind of as a whole. Um, I see it as just sort of like one, one multi-segmented story. It's one big lesson. One big thing. And it's... Part of it is because I watched them all kind of out of order and have started just piecing together over the years. Um, just like in, in kind of, I've kind of stitched, stitched it all together. Um, so it's it's really hard to come up with that, but I would say that 
Oh man, yeah. Captain Picard or Data would probably have to be my favorite character, but I don't know. I wouldn't know how to pick between the two of them. Like, so Data is a uh, an android, and he is the first sort of like um, really, really good artificial intelligence. They actually play off some of Isaac Asimov's um, established technology in some of his his um, his robot series. Uh, Data has a positronic brain, which is a definitely like an Asimov invention. Um, that's supposed to, rather than like electronic, it's supposed to more closely emulate the way that our brains function with synapses and neurons and, and it actually can reform itself to make new connections like our brain can. So it's the first like true learning, uh, artificial intelligence. And there's actually a really, really great episode, um, where Starfleet, um, so like the hires up within, within this, this universe, um, decides that Data is a machine and therefore they're going to take him back, disassemble him and backward engineer him so they can make more. Okay. Um, And basically they have to uh, decide whether or not he is sentient. And if he's sentient, obviously they can't do that because he's a living thing and they can't kill him basically. Uh, So there's this whole big like trial. It's, it's a little bit like, um, Oh, like, uh, crap, I can't think right now, To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, there's this big trial. Um, Riker plays his, like, uh, opposing attorney. Um, what do you call it? Prosecuting attorney. Um, and, crap, who is... I think it's Picard as his, um, like, his defense attorney. Um, that seems like an awkward juxtaposition that, of roles. You know what? I'm going to look this up because I could be getting this wrong. Trial... Um, data gotta love okay so the episode is called data's day and nope that's not it i'm pulling it up because it's i know it's one of the ones that's recommended um yes it's early on so are are you talking about that is it uh, measure of a man yes that's it thank you see like i said it, it all sort of flows together for me so i uh so I'm really bad at episode titles. Uh, I do the same thing with the X-Files. Like, I have a friend who can name you the season and the name of the episode, but I, I'm so bad at that. Yeah. The Measure of a Man. Picard must prove Data is legally a sentient being with rights and freedoms under Federation law when transfer orders deem Data's reassignment for duty and disassembly. So, yeah, Picard, on top of being an amazing ship's captain and a good scientist and a... Uh, you know, a patron of the arts. He's also apparently a lawyer. <laughs> and yeah, he can, you know, he can, well, he's remarkably logical. Yeah, it's true. So he's, he's pretty great. Um, and there's this big kind of climax moment where uh, Riker goes and uh, wants to demonstrate the data is actually man-made and he goes and he turns them off. And we're just like, oh shit. <laughs> um but then, yeah, they eventually, I won't spoil it for you, but Data continues to serve on the Enterprise. Um, so, yeah, that's one of my favorite Data episodes. Um, and he's always sort of, like, seeking to be more human. So he, rather than, like, Spock or a Vulcan character who does not have emotion and seeks to distance themselves from emotions, because at the core, uh, Vulcans are v- very very emotional and they've just suppressed it over the centuries. Um, Data is aspiring to be more human because he does, does not have emotion. And there's all these great episodes where he kind of seeks to do that. Um, there's actually some holodeck episodes where he's basically Sherlock Holmes, which you would think would be bad and kind of cringy because it's set in like, like he's basically Sherlock Holmes, but it's actually really, really great. Uh, Professor Moriarty is there and he becomes sort of like almost a an equal to data like a like a sentient character himself um and it's pretty fantastic I'll track down those those episodes uh and put them in show notes but I so you have will um like a 40 40 of the best episodes that somebody put on medium max temkin yeah I, yeah I found it I was going to say I found an article by Max Temkin um and this was we all started you and I started talking about doing this episode or you and Rob and I all started talking about doing this episode right about the same time that this article by Max Temkin came out on Medium because uh, Star Trek is available on Netflix and I think that's a relatively recent 
thing um, is that the next generation has been it hasn't been there from the beginning no not from the beginning but probably for at least three or maybe four years it's been there it's, it's been there for a little while and it's kind of one of those i don't know if people are getting ramped up because the star wars stuff is getting ready to come out and people are trying to you know go back to things that meant a little more to them in the 80s and the 90s and, and things like that but kind of I've always wanted to get into Star Trek, not necessarily, you know, join the fandom and be, you know, putting on my Klingon makeup and learning the language and everything else. But it's one of those things that I feel like if I'm running a network with the word nerd in it and I claim to be a nerd, it's something I feel like I should have at least a a broad knowledge, if not encyclopedic knowledge of. And in the process, I found this article by uh, Max Temkin on Medium, I think. I feel like Dan Morin or somebody else on Twitter linked to it, another one of the Star Trek people, or another one of the people I follow on Twitter or in social media that is a big Star Trek fan. And uh, what Max Temkin has done is gone through all seven seasons and kind of pulled out what he sees as the essential episodes. Because if you're just going to watch Next Generation, it's something like 133 hours, which is quite an undertaking. Yeah. Uh, but 40 hours, I mean, that's that's doable in a month if you decide you're going to watch, you know, an episode an evening and then watch maybe another couple on the weekends. I mean, you can knock out the according to him, the most important or the most essential episodes throughout, which I've found a similar article for Doctor Who um, that I believe Jason Snell wrote that one. So that's got a little bit of uh, a little bit of nerd cred behind it as well. Um, uh, there is a link to that medium article in the show notes, and that's more than likely how I'm going to try to dip my toe into the, the next generation waters. Um, that's pretty much my plan for star Trek. I am now much more, educated and much more interested in getting started that may be how i spend the rest of my rainy day after i get done writing these lesson plans um well i know you're a big podcast fan um i am and uh, if you i can give you a couple of podcast recommendations for star trek if you if you would like to follow along that way uh please tell me one of them is the scott mcnulty one um i don't know what that is um okay oh, yeah R- random trek that's a random track it's yeah. a incomparable uh spinoff it is yeah yeah that's one of them um it's pretty great um yeah and they just basically take a random episode of star trek um and they talk about it and it's that's interesting because i've there's a lot of people who are like okay man we're gonna watch uh star trek in order every week and then have a podcast about it uh, which is a good way to do it if you want but um nowadays i watch star trek in random order if it's on or if i am thinking about one and i want to see it on netflix so uh i definitely think yeah random random trek is a good one there's another one that's uh it's i don't even really know how to describe it. it's called trecklinburg that okay and uh it's it's part of a another like podcast kind of small podcast network um and i think they actually produce it for like a community radio station and wherever they are but it's basically the this guy and this girl who uh I feel, I feel like they drink pretty pretty heavily before they start recording because it it kind of gets giggly at the end. But and and they they seem to okay. Sometimes they talk about like actual episodes, but sometimes they talk about more broader themes like uh, what, uh, starship design across episode across the series, or they talk about like uh, alcoholic drinks in Star Trek. So, <laughs> so they, they take it more in like themes rather than episodes, which I actually really like that approach. Yeah. Um, well, as someone who's more, um, as someone who's more, you know, more about the series as a whole. So I guess that would make more sense if they can call references from different areas and be like, Oh yeah, no, I can see those two connections. Yeah. There's a, Oh man, when I was a kid, I used to make, so there's like a, a beverage called Romulan ale, which is blue. And, uh, it kind of, as it, all good ales are. As all good ales are. It kind of makes its appearance throughout uh, the original series and the movies in the next generation. But uh, it's outlawed in the in the Federation. First, because the Romulans are enemies and it's like getting something from Cuba or something like that. Um, but but Romulan, I used to um, add like blue food coloring to 7-Up or something and, and pretend it was, it was Romulan ale. It was real geeky. 
That's great. That's what that is. Um, yeah. Well, we'll put we'll put some quotes to or not some quotes. We'll put some links to Random Trek and Trecklenburg in the show notes, so those will be available uh, for you to click on. Uh, We're also going to have to find like different references to making of Romulan ale. Apparently, yeah, that's going to be fun. Um, I'm sure that'll be on. There's, I'm sure there's something on memoryalpha.org that'll tell me how to make some Romulan ale. Hopefully, it doesn't involve putting any parts of a Romulan into a food processor because <laughs> that would be difficult and I would probably never get those stains out. Yeah. Um, not? It's appropriate that we end on alcoholic beverages because somehow all of these podcasts on the Nerd Browsing Network need to make some kind of connection. Uh, Andy Welfley, thank you very much for joining us. If people had questions about random Star Trek episodes and they wanted to find you on the internet, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh man, um, probably Twitter would be the best. Um, I am there at at a Welfley, a W E L F L E. Um, can also drop me an email or, um, yeah, that's another good way to get me. Um, and I might as well use my nerd uprising email address, which is Andy W at nerd uprising.co. If I wanted to hear more of your dulcet tones, are there particular places I may be able to hear those coming out of my uh, Apple uh, earbuds, which is not what I'm actually wearing, but it sounds inconvenient? <laughs> sure. Um, I have a podcast about wooden pencils called Erasable, which is erasable.us. Um, and then I'm also on a podcast with um, Will Fangie, uh, this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, um, he sounds, yeah, okay. He's okay. <laughs> he's right here on uh, nerduprising.co slash dot grid. And, and that is more if you like tech podcasts and you don't necessarily just like wooden pencils, but you like analog writing tools, that's that's where you can that's why you would listen to that. Yeah, I like to think we have a good time talking about um everything from digits to digit you know what? That's we talk about fun stuff. Come hang out. Um I am that Will Fangie, which is coincidentally how you can find me on Twitter. It's at Will Fangie. You can also tweet to the Uprising podcast at Uprising Podcast. Uh, feel free to email us at feedback at nerduprising.co. Rob, what's the best way to find you on the internet? I am at Rob Fangie on Twitter and on Instagram. You can email me at rob at nerduprising.co. And for those of you that are interested in photographs of things that are terrestrial, you can find some of his stuff at robfangy.com as well. Uh, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure sitting down with you. Andy, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Star Trek. It is a legitimately nerd thing. You are a legitimate nerd about it, and <laughs> I appreciate the fact that you embrace that and were willing to share it with us. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, Rob, I'm good. You good? Oh, man, I'm great. All right. Let's uh, sit down and do this again here in the near future. Yeah, man, we'll do it. All right, thanks a lot, guys. See ya. Bye. All right, I think that could have gone a lot worse. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, way worse.